You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey, we want to welcome you here if you're visiting with us today. We want to welcome everybody watching online live and also anybody who watches us later in the week. Hey, thanks for tuning in and giving us a chance to speak truth into your life. So today we launch a new series called No Boundaries. This little couch right here is a real couch that I bought and I had put in my office. When I uh, originally got into the office that I was in for a long time, I'm out of that in the West Building now. But when I was in there for a while, they had given me a a table with chairs around it, which was great if you were having a planning meeting or creative meeting. But I was sitting there at times having these intense counseling sessions with people and thinking, I feel like I'm sitting in a business office while people are crying and I'm trying to find tissues. It just wasn't a good environment. So I decided to take that out and try to get some more comfortable seating. But I didn't have any money to spend. The church didn't have any money to buy. So I had to wait until I found things on clearance. And I found this little baby here in town. at a local store, it was an amazing deal. And if you know me, I love great deals. So I bought it and I put it in my office and I quickly found out the problem with this couch. Can you see it? So what would happen is people would come in to meet with me and there's either two people in a conflict or perhaps a husband and a wife and they're dealing with issues and you could always tell how they were doing based off how they sat on the couch. So if For instance, when I did a premarital counseling session, if the husband or the wife or the groom and and bride-to-be are sitting all snuggly and loving, you could tell things are going to go well. But if the couple came in and they weren't in a good place, what they tended to do was to sit on the edge of the couch. You could see it, right? Some of you are like, yes, I know what that feels like every day in my home. It's real. But what I also started to notice is when people came in and it wasn't clear where they were supposed to sit or how, they would gravitate. Let's say I had a meeting of five and the, and the room holds six or seven. The first person to sit down, if they sit somewhere not in the middle, but not quite on the edge, the next person, because of these awkward things, especially if it's two men, like, you know, you can't, like, you know, men in stalls, we can't go to the right next to each other, right? Women, I don't know if you knew that. And um, what would happen over time is you would notice people doing this. And like, leaning in towards the middle with their body like awkwardly hanging off. Or occasionally they'd be doing this and you'd be like, You've got, you can't feel what I'm feeling right now. Let me just tell you, it's not comfortable. <laughs> but see, this is how life is. If you have a couch at home that has armrests on it, isn't it amazing? You know exactly where the seating space is. You know, if you have, like, for instance, we have a couch that has three different sections, you know, two ends and a middle. You know, even though I got little ones, you could squeeze five on there, but you know if there's adults, there's three spots. In fact, if there's two men, there's only two spots for the couch. But on this one, you don't really know where the edge is, do you? And so what happens is you eventually start spilling over. And the moment you start spilling over off the edge, everything becomes uncomfortable, Well, these next three weeks, what we want to do is talk about this very concept. Nobody wants to talk about boundaries. Nobody wants to talk about, you know, is there a line whereby we should not cross over that line? And when we do, it's going to make life hard. What's interesting is on this couch in my office, virtually every single conversation that I had with people sitting on this couch had to do with these next three weeks. Because everything we're going to talk about has to do with everyday life. 
And God intends to speak into your everyday life. So today we're going to talk about time. And everybody just got stressed. Because you're wondering when the sermon's going to be done so you can move on with the rest of the things in your day. We've got places to go, pastor. We've got people to see. We've got things to do. In fact, we have food to eat. Like, we need you to make sure you're done on time. And when you go over like you did last week, it stresses us out. Because the reality is most of us aren't living safely in the middle where it's most comfortable. Most of us are living right on the edge. This would be a great message to keep your elbows to yourself. Not be nudging your spouse or your friend or texting your kids and saying, are you listening to this? This would be a great message to just ask yourself, God, what do you have in store for me in this message? Here's the irony. In that same office, before we moved out to the, the, the central services building out on the other side of the parking lot, the elders came in to meet with me to do my yearly review about 12 to 18 months ago. And I don't remember which of us, I think it might have been me actually, was sitting on this couch. And they looked at me and they said, Matt, we need you to do less counseling. I said, oh, but I love meeting with people and telling them where they're wrong. It's like my favorite thing to do, ask my wife. (laughs) They said, here's the thing, pastor, you're you're the pastor of a large church and there's a lot of people who need you. And if you take up five, 10, and 20 hours a week meeting with people one-on-one and two-on-one, then there's a whole bunch of people you're not really getting to influence. We need you to strategically think about ways to better spend your time. Well, I know that my elders love me and they love you and they love this church and they want it to get better and they want it to get healthier and they want it to be more effective. And so I knew that their challenge was from God, but I didn't like it because what they were telling me was, Pastor, you need to move away from the edge. Your family needs more of you. They don't have enough of you. God needs more of you, but you don't have time to do it. You need to figure out ways to pour into the body that doesn't require more of you giving and just one-on-one. You've got to be more intentional about your time. But here's the thing. I could justify putting off Bible study. I could justify putting off prayer. I could justify being home late 30 minutes or an hour because whoever it was I was meeting with wasn't available till 4 or 4.30. And, and even though I thought I could keep the conversation to 30 minutes or 45 minutes, you know, it was a major deal in their life and they needed me. So I'd walk in late. Family had already eaten dinner. Wife was a little upset. And I had this fantastic fantastic justification that would tug right on her heart. She would just feel like, you know what, Matt, you, you just, you made the right decision. You know what, my wife will do that a few times. But too many times, the next thing I know, we're sitting on opposite ends of the couch. And here's the thing, here's the thing. I need you to get this before we go anywhere else today. The more honorable the activity in your life, the easier it is to justify spending your time. You know exactly what I'm saying, right? I'm just staying up a little late tonight in order to finish this thing up, honey. It'll be okay. Trust me, if I, if I stay up late tonight and I skip that movie with you or whatever it is, that time that we get together, I'll be able to knock this project out at work so that I don't have to miss more time with you or stay later tomorrow. Except it never just happens one time, does it? Once your work figures out that you'll give more, what do they do? Ask less of you every time. Some of you bosses in the room need to listen up here. I I, I just just have to focus on this email really quickly. 
I, I know that it's dinner, but if I just do this really quick, then I'll be able to put it out of my mind the rest of the night. You hear the justification in that? If I could just this, then this, right? We're going on vacation next week. This is one of the ones that took me years to figure out. We're going on vacation next week. It was really uncomfortable, by the way. <laughs> so if I just work an 80-hour week now, I'll be able to make up for it next week. It won't matter because next week I'll see you a ton. Except what happens when you get to vacation, you are so depleted. There's not enough of you to go around, right? See, the more honorable the activity, the easier it is in your brain to justify but every time you justify spending your time on something you shouldn't be spending it on, everybody else around you pays the price. So how do we fix it? Well, first, let's notice this. Moses wrote a psalm. It's one of the only psalms I think he wrote. It may be the only one. I didn't look into that. But it's powerful. You should read the whole thing sometime. But he says this in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What Moses is trying to get to is this. Everybody's got a beginning and everybody's got an end. And nobody knows the end, but he actually says in the psalm, 70 years, maybe 80 years, if, if your strength makes it. Nowadays with medicine, you might say 70 years, maybe 100 years, if medicine and your strength make it. However, the whole point is everybody's got a beginning and everybody's got an end. And barring a tragedy, a cancer, a car accident, something terrible happening, it's going to be roughly 70 years. It's just a ballpark, but it's a rough estimate. So if we only have 70 years on earth, how do we make sure between now and then, whenever then is, that we spend our days the wisest way possible? Well, here's my first suggestion. And it's the same suggestion for this whole series, but today as we talk about time, I want you to get this one. Boundaries keep us safely within God-established limits. If you could imagine that this couch had some sort of armrests, it would clearly define that this is a couch, depending on how big they are, for one or maybe two, if I really like them. And it wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? But the problem is, inside our hearts, we have a breakdown issue. We have a problem within our hearts, and that is we don't like anybody telling us no, stop, don't, or not yet, do we? And the moment somebody says it, doesn't matter if it's your parent, your boss, your spouse, or God, the moment it happens, you push back. Oh, you didn't. Who do you think you are to tell me is what we say, right? So where in the world did it go wrong? I think before we could talk about how to fix a problem, we have to understand the problem in the first place. Let's just take a look. Go to Genesis, the very beginning, very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Now everything the Lord God made was good, right? He put everything in its right place. Everything had its boundaries, the water had boundaries, the land had boundaries, the sky had boundaries, space, we don't know if it has a boundary, but theoretically there's a boundary somewhere. Everything had a boundary. And then God gave uh, Adam, he gave Ad Eve to Adam so that they could work the land together. In fact, in Genesis 1:28, it says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis chapter one is the very first chapter in the Bible, and I wanna just put out there, I don't think Genesis one is a scientific chapter, but I do think Genesis one is a philosophical chapter. It's a chapter on morality and life. And what you need to know is work did not come as a byproduct of sin. Even though it may feel like that, work came as a byproduct of the fact that that God made his creation and he made people to work hard on his creation. And the very first commands were be fruitful and increase in number. That's the message for next week, actually. Or actually, maybe it's the week after. But then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, what does that mean? If you look at that word subdue, it actually means to bring under order the earth. Now, I talk about this all the time, but it's because all things begin here. If you don't get this, nothing else makes sense. In the garden, God made the garden. You need to know that. So the whole earth is a little bit wild. It's, it's, it needs subdued. Whatever that word implies, there's something crazy about it. Don't think Savannah, Africa today, where it's wild and you might get eaten by a lion or a tiger or a bear. Okay, three of you paying attention. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that's a reference to. It's from the 70s. Don't worry about it. Okay. But it is a little bit crazy out there. It's a jungle out there. And so Adam and Eve are to go beyond the garden, they're to subdue the earth, they're to bring it under rule and reign, and they're to rule over the fish, and they're to rule over the birds, and they're to rule over the animals. <clears throat> now, something dramatically goes wrong. And in the next couple chapters, what we find is Adam and Eve are walking around the garden, everything is glorious and beautiful, and they're enjoying themselves, but then one day, the enemy, Satan the serpent, comes along and he tempts them. And here's the temptation, in case you don't know this. See, God placed in the garden one tree, only one tree, and he says, you can eat any fruit of any tree, you can, anything you come across this garden, enjoy it. Do not touch this one tree. It's one boundary that God put in place to keep Adam and Eve safely in his will. And Satan comes along, and he says, no, 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 you don't need that. What do you think's gonna happen if you eat that? And Eve says, well, God says, we're gonna die, And then notices, Genesis chapter three, verse four. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now this is very interesting because what Satan just said to Eve, and then eventually to Adam, who's standing there, don't trust God. He doesn't have your back. He's not looking out for you. He's not even considering what you think is best. In fact, he's actually hiding the best from you. He knows if you were to actually take this fruit and eat it, you would become like him. Is that not the root of every sin problem we have? God doesn't have your back. He won't come through. You can't trust him. He's not trustworthy. Don't stay within healthy boundaries. Go beyond those boundaries because it looks right. It feels right. Everybody else is doing it. Their lives don't look like it's that messed up, does it? Or all these other justifications 
What Satan has just handed to Eve is this phenomenal justification. You can handle this. You're smarter than everybody else. You're stronger, you're better, you're wiser, you're prettier. Fill in the blank. And the moment we start justifying, our lives start spilling out all over the place. So what happens next is Adam and Eve, they take the fruit and they eat it. God comes down and he says, fascinating, doesn't he? Follow this for the rest of this time message. Adam, the ground is not gonna work with you anymore. It's gonna produce weeds. I believe that, and I've said this before, I don't believe the weeds, I believe the weeds are literal. We have weeds. They didn't have weeds then. But I believe it's bigger than that. Because if the answer is we could solve the problem of the curse in Genesis by simply uh, buying some uh, weed killer, I don't think that we've outsmarted God. And part of the reason I don't is because we find out in Romans chapter eight that all of creation is crying out and groaning. Tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes, all of these things are birth pains of the earth saying we miss our creator being the ruler and the leader of the earth because we've pushed him out and we've forced him out. So the curse of the weeds is bigger. The sin has affected far more and in the male heart, I'll get to women in a minute, but in the male heart, come on, tell me men, has your identity not been wrapped up in your job? Hi, my name is Matt Nickerson. Uh, I'm the lead pastor of Kingsway Christian Church. We used to run about 2,500 people. Currently, we probably run around 1,700 to 2,000. And my identity is wrapped up in my church. It's your turn. Ready? Maybe not. Not here. But if you don't get to the place, men, where you can acknowledge that your identity is wrapped up in your work, you'll never be able to set appropriate boundaries. Because if it's always a bigger paycheck or a nicer vacation or a better house or a nicer car or a promotion or some significance issue you're searching after, you're always going to chase the next one and you're gonna have a great justification. But if I this, then I could just that for my family, right? Until five years and 10 years and 15 years and 20 years down the road and it's too late. Your marriage fell apart. You have no relationship with your kids. And what happens is uh, they end up in my office, sitting on my couch, talking about why didn't my dad love me enough? But wives, it's not dramatically different for you. Now, guys, a penny with big broad strokes here. <laughs> but if you go back to the garden, God told the ladies, now here's what's gonna happen, two major things. You're gonna have pain in childbirth. Did we circumvent pain in childbirth? I mean, every lady who's given birth will tell you, oh man, that's miserable. But you're telling me with an epidural or modern medicine, we simply circumvented God, just like we did by spraying those weeds. No, I think there's a bigger point here. The point is now, even in having children, instead of being this joyous, fruitful thing, it's full of a lot of heartache and pain. And every mama who's ever had a child can tell you what that feels like. The first time they drive, when they leave the house, when they're teenagers and they yell back at you. The other day, one of my kids had a rough moment and I didn't necessarily handle it the best way possible and he called me something that, let me just tell you, would not be okay for any kid to call their parent. And I took a really deep breath and just said, I love this child. He's a gift from the Lord. <laughs> His name even reminds me of that. 
But every mama knows what that feels like, right? When your son gets married, he moves on, and he never calls home. That's my mom's story. Hi, mom, I love you. You know, there's pain. There's pain. There's pain in childbirth. For the mama whose child is disengaged or speaks poorly. But even then, God goes on and he says, and now, ladies, you're going to long for the authority that your husband has over you. There's pain in it, right? But here's the thing. What happens is our identities get wrapped up in these things. Our identities get wrapped up in our families and in our children. And so we have moms who are constantly pushing their children to do more, be more, look better, to present the family better, need to accomplish We push our kids into the best possible places, spending a lot of money and time and energy, stressing ourselves out and them out because we have to measure up to some unknown standard that somebody out there has determined we can't even nail it down. In fact, we actually see this in the Bible story. I don't know if you know this or not. I want you to go with me. We're gonna jump a few ahead at Genesis. Genesis chapter uh, 11. Genesis chapter 11. Now, this is what we would call the Tower of Babel moment. All of the earth speaks the same language. We are post-flood, but even though we're post-flood, things are escalating. And notice this, the people of the earth come together in Genesis 11, 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And you're like, you, you came to this in Genesis at some point. You went, what in the world is going on here? Remember, in the garden, they had two primary responsibilities. You could maybe say three, but two. Be fruitful and multiply. Make more image bearers. And number two, subdue the earth. Go leave the garden. Go to the ends of the earth. Fill God's earth and rule over the fish and the animals and the birds and all those things. But now what they're saying is, let's not do what he told us to do. Let's just all gather together. Because if we don't, we're going to scatter to the ends of the earth. And we don't want to go to the ends of the earth. We don't want to go out and take the image of God everywhere else. We just want to stay here and play it safe and build massive monoliths to ourselves. Do you hear it? But what's the driving force? It's not just that we don't trust God. We don't want to listen to God. We don't want to do what God told us. There's There's a motive inside so that we may make a name for ourselves. The reason time is a problem for all of us is because we're too busy trying to make a name for ourselves. It doesn't matter if it's work or kids or sports or money or stuff or experiences, vacations, every time our schedule gets out of whack, every time we don't say no to something that's good so we can say yes to something that's better, every time you can know there's a motive in your heart that's driving because you want to make a name for yourself. I've had pastors and and, and, and scholars and Bible people push back at me and say, well, that's not true because what if we're serving sacrificially to give to our God? And it's not that you won't ever give over and above. We just had a group get back from Mexico. Two weeks ago, we had another group come back from Peru. And you know what? They had to give sacrificially in order for that to happen. But it will only happen for a season. It won't happen forever. And if you don't find yourself creating space and margin in your schedule leading up to and coming out of those kinds of moments, then you know it's not from God. There's another drive. There's another force inside your heart pushing you to go beyond the limit that God has established for you. And here's the danger. 
if you're not careful, past behaviors will lead to pathways. Past behaviors will lead to pathways. Meaning, if you do it once and you got away with it, it becomes established in your mind that you can do it and get away with it again. And then again, and then again, and then again, and then again, and then again. And the more times you do it, the more it becomes solid in your mind that you could do it again. So, what do we do with all this? What I want to do is I want to give you three quick tips, three quick tips on maybe four, but the fourth one's kind of a cheating one. But here we go. On boundaries to put in place to make sure that your time is spent on the places it needs to be spent. Ready? Four time boundaries to put in place. Number one, work hard. That's it. Work hard. That's boundary number one. When you're at work, whatever you're working on, say it with me. Work hard. That was a little weak. Nobody wants to be excited about that. All the bosses in the room are like, can you say that again, pastor? Yes, I can. You can make your checks payable to Kingsway Christian Church. When you're at work, we're going to do what? Together. Work hard. Why? Because work is from God. Did you know that? What I want you to see over these next three things I'm going to say before I get to number four is this. Everything in life is spiritual. Church is not spiritual and work isn't. Your family is not spiritual while your playtime isn't. Everything in life is spiritual, meaning this. Everything in life is from God. In your job, I don't care if you're a plumber, electrician, teacher, uh, whatever, a senator, I don't care, doctor, pastor, all work is from God, all of it. When you get to heaven for eternity, did you know you're going to have a job? You're going to have a job given to you by God based off the way he made you that's going to be fulfilling and not exhausting. How do I know? Because Paul says this, and I just love the message version. I felt like it was the clearest, but if you want to look it up in another version, that's fine. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says this. Do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. That's like when he returns and heaven is here. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is who? Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. And I love that last line. Christians ought to be known as the hardest, most faithful workers there are. Now, there will be bosses that will take advantage of you. And that's why we have these next two here. Number two, so you're going to work hard. Number one, number two, you're going to play hard. Play hard. When you come home, work is done. And it's time for you to be with your spouse. And it's time for you to be with your kids. And if you're single, it's time for you to hang out with your friends. Yeah, you might have a project to do or other things that fill you. You might go to the gym and work out, whatever it is. But when it's time to play hard, we're going to play hard And I don't know if you know this, but it's actually from God that life would be full of fun events and moments. It's easy when you read your Bibles and everything's talking about the working of God in the lives of men and women to miss the fact that God actually created us and our bodies and our souls for a play. And what happens for some of us who are extremely driven people is all of life becomes about work and not about play. 
Even it's, every time I have a conversation, somebody's always trying to add something into my schedule. Oh, pastor, you just gotta be at this thing. You just gotta come to this thing. You just gotta go to this thing. I'm like, you don't understand. I can't because in order for me to stick anything else in my schedule, something else has to come out of my schedule because I'm dedicated to playing with my kids. One day, they're not gonna wanna play with me anymore. They're gonna be too cool for school. They're not gonna think that hanging out with dad is a fun thing to do. And while they think that I'm the coolest guy in the universe, I wanna be there to play with them. I know, imagine that, right? I pay them well, I feed them good. Here's a Bible verse to back it up. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17 says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for what? Our what? Huh. You know, we're gonna talk about this passage more next week part of what he's implying here, but part of what Paul's trying to get to is this, realize that God is good. He's good. And he gave you good food and taste buds. Well, that's a weird thing. I mean, he could have made food taste like, I don't know, cardboard or bread. Like, all food tastes like bread. That's okay. You know, it's good, especially, you know, if you make Susan Rhodes bread, but if you guys don't know Susan, you don't know why that's awesome. Um, you know, if all bread tastes like Hawaiian bread, maybe, but Sooner or later, get boring, but he didn't. He made your tongue full of taste buds so that salty things and sweet things come alive inside your mouth. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that your bodies are capable of running and feeling the exhilaration, even though some of you hate running? You're like, that sounds like torture, Pastor, not like play. But your bodies are capable of it, and it gets this, this thing that goes on in your brain. Endorphins are released. Have you noticed when you play certain games or watch certain TV shows or whatever it is, something comes alive, your heart starts to race. God has built your bodies to enjoy his creation. So we're going to play hard. We're gonna create space in our lives to play hard. Last, or third one I should say, not quite the last one, third one. We're gonna rest hard. Rest hard. So we're gonna work hard, we're gonna play hard, we're gonna, some of you are still with me. We're gonna work hard, we're gonna play hard, and we're gonna, you know, how do I rest hard, pastor? I can't sleep at night. The reason you can't sleep at night is because you're anxious about the working hard and the playing hard. Really. Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayers and petitions, present your request to God and to give him thanks for all that he has done. Jesus goes so far as to say, you know what, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own. You've got enough to be stressed out about. You don't need to be stressed out about tomorrow. Just simply focus on today. God will handle tomorrow. And if you know that God's already in tomorrow while you're in today, then you can sleep good at night because he's going to take care of it somehow, some way. He's going to provide the answer to the problem that you have. You only need to hold on one more day. And you might have to start over tomorrow. But that's all you have to do. You just have to make it through today and go to bed at night. God, I know you're tomorrow. You're in tomorrow, so I don't have to worry about it. Did you know that before sin entered the earth, God created a plan for rest? Did you know that? So Adam and Eve show up, and it's day six, whatever exactly that means. Day seven, they rested. They showed up towards the end of day six, if you read the story. He did a lot of other things in the morning that day. Adam and Eve show up. What are we going to do today, God? Well, I know what we're going to do. What are you going to do? We're going to sleep. I mean, we're gonna sleep. We just got here. Look at this place. I know, but I've been working a long time before you showed up. Why is that important? Because I've been working a long time before you showed up. And if I did all of this that you could see before you got here, do you think I could do everything else since you got here? Yes, good. Then what do we need to do? Sleep. 
I don't want to sleep. Do it anyway. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus is in a debate with the Pharisees. The Pharisees got real legalistic about this thing called Sabbath, a day off. And they say this. They said to him, or Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, in the Old Testament, after the sin and after the fall and after Babel, God created a day of the week. It was Saturday for the Israelites, and it was called the Sabbath. And the goal was, you be done on that day. You do nothing. You rest and you worship on that day. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a day of rest? Do you have one day a week that is protected? It's just for your body to become human and to recover. Because if you don't, you'll overdo it. I learned this a long time ago about my schedule. It literally doesn't matter how much is in my cup. If I go to a coffee shop and I order a coffee, it doesn't matter if they put the coffee to here or the coffee to here. I pull out that milk and every time I do this. I don't do that, I hope. And it's amazing. I spill nine times out of ten. I started ordering my Americanos, if you know what that is. I order a small Americano and a medium cup, or a medium Americano and a large cup. Because I thought to myself, if I just give myself more room, I'll stop doing this. Do you know what I did? I started filling it to the top every time. In fact, if I order a drink and it's not really close to the top, I feel cheated. Now, what is wrong with me? I started ordering a small and a large cup. My drink was cold. I realized that wasn't going to work. The problem is that I don't know where the boundary is. I think the boundary is to push the limit all the way to the top. But it's not. It's less. So here's number four. Whether you're working hard whether you're playing hard or whether you're resting hard, only do one at a time. So when you're at work, don't play. All the bosses in here would love for you to turn off the internet, right? Stop messing around when you're at work because what happens when you're at work and you're playing is your work comes home with you. And when you're at home playing, turn off your phone. This is the pot calling the kettle black, okay? This is, I realize, this is like, my, my wife would listen to this later today. She'd be like, really? You should try practicing that sometime, Pastor. <clears throat> but my biggest problem is I get an email, I get a text, and it's extremely important. It's a sickness, it's a death, it's a counseling situation. Somebody just has a really quick question, it's a data point, and I'm sitting there with my kids, I'm saying, hey, hang on real quick, just real quick. This will only take me a minute. And that's when my son looked at me a couple weeks ago and he said, Daddy, you're always on your phone. I don't want my son to turn 15 and 18 and 20 and 25 and 30 and have his own kids and say, you know what I remember about my childhood? My dad was always on his phone. But I can't change that then. When can I change it? Now. And the problem is when, we go, when it's time for sleeping, when it's time for rest, do you know what we do? We pull out these little puppies and we watch a movie. We turn on our TVs. We open up a video game, we work, we play. So when it's time to rest, we're playing. When it's time to play, we're, we're working. When it's time to work, we're playing. 
And the problem is we don't have boundaries around our life that keep us focused on the things that God has told us to do. And I know that this message hits a lot of you in a lot of different places, which is why I wanna close with a prayer over you. We're gonna go into our communion time. And as we go into our communion time, I just wanna pray, I wanna pray that God will speak to your heart. Here's my one challenge before I pray over you. What is one change you can make in your life to set boundaries around your time that's gonna make you more effective? What is one change you can make right now in your time that's gonna set boundaries around your life that's gonna make you more effective? Now let's pray for God to give us the wisdom to know how to do it. Father, as we come into your presence, Lord, as we go into communion time, our prayer is this, God, would you reveal to us what is one major shift we can make in our life so that we can be more effective for you? God, here's my prayer. My prayer, God, is that you give us both the strength to change it and the courage to change it. And God, I pray that we would see immediate fruit and blessing from this change. We ask this in Jesus' name.